Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So, time for our reading. We're back into the parables in the end of Matthew's Gospel, which we took a break for from What's the Story? It's the parable of the ten virgins. If you need a Bible, there will be some being handed out. Um, We're in Matthew 25, and Israel, uh, there we go, is going to come and read, and then Matthew will come and preach to us. Thanks, Steve. Um, So, please turn with me to Matthew um, 25. So, we're reading from verse 1 to... 13 on page 749, if you have your Bibles with you. Okay, so it says, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was along was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Um, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for always encouraging us and always, um, because we always, you always have something um, in store for us in your word. And I just pray as Murphy comes to um, preach that you fill him with your spirit and you grant us the grace to, you prepare our hearts to receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Good morning, church. Let's get this down so that I can see over it. For, uh, for anyone that can drive, or anyone that cannot drive, uh, this is going to be uh, particularly um, uh, poignant. So whenever, whenever I started to drive, I've, I've got a little bit of OCD whenever it comes to how many miles to the tank I can get. And so in the countryside, you're going to get better miles to the gallon than you will in the city. And so very often I would have planned my journeys, taking a look at where my journey was going to go, and planned the route along the most economical route. And so the big idea is to see how many miles of uh, uh, miles I can get to the, the gallon in the car. And so uh, I began to do this. My father began to do this. Or perhaps he was doing this before I was doing it, and, and I took after him. But nevertheless, with this bit of a competition, see who could get the highest miles to the gallon. See who could get the most miles to the tank of fuel. And so it got quite touch and go. Very often I was running in the red. He was running in the red, and we are working out... Are we going to make it? Are we not going to make it? And, and there were many times that I did not make it. And you chat about a disruption or being late to things. And the thing is, whenever you've run out of fuel, you can't exactly tell people that you've been late because you ran out of fuel, knowing that you've went past five, six, seven filling stations. 
But anyway, the, the, the goal, the big idea was, we'll see who can, who can win, who can get the most number of miles. What's really interesting is that one of us was prepared and the other one wasn't. And the big difference in my father and I was what lay in the boot of both of our respective cars. Dad had a jerry can, which was a little can, held five liters of diesel. I did not. And so dad had no issues at all. He, he, he could drive until the car ran out. He, he was always going to get there. He had a jerry can. I didn't. One party was prepared and the other party wasn't. And the lack of preparedness would soon be exposed. And I'll tell you this time and time again, I got exposed. Nevertheless, my mildly gallon was better than my father's. But nevertheless, <laughs> I, I, I was exposed. The big idea is that one party was exposed, one party was not. One party was prepared and, uh, and Maffey wasn't that prepared party. And so this week we're picking up on our series, uh, The Future Kingdom from Matthew's Gospel. And, and if you remember in September, uh, we, we looked, we've looked at the parable of the wedding banquet. Um, we've looked at the parable of the thief in the night and the parable of the wise and wicked servants. So we've been in Matthew 22 to Matthew 25. And in each of these parables, Jesus reiterates the need to be ready for his second coming. And he reiterates those that are ready are found to be those who are going to wait well. And they're going to wait well for him to come. And so this week, we're going to move into the parable of the ten virgins. Or, I think in my PowerPoint, it probably comes up the parable of the ten bridesmaids. I mean, this isn't working, so can we go to the next slide, please? So the big picture presented here, it's a call to preparedness. So in, in, in other words, those who wait well are those who do not solely rely on the faith of others. So wherever you see bridesmaids, put... Uh, Change that to virgins. So character of the bridesmaids, character of the virgins, five wise, five foolish. And so this is, this is how the parable is going to play out. So as we walk through the parable, we're going to see that we've got five wise virgins and we've got five foolish ones. And it's saying that the, the parable of the ten virgins, whenever it says virgin, it doesn't mean somebody that has kept himself pure. It doesn't mean somebody who, who, is, um, who is good at all. It simply means somebody that is unmarried and somebody that is young. So somebody that's unmarried, somebody, somebody that's young. So in, in this case, in other uh, virg or versions, it would have said parable of the bridesmaids. So anyway, it's interchangeable. So we're going to see the character of them. We're going to hear about the consequence for the unprepared. And we're going to see about the coming of the bridegroom, what that's going to mean. And we're going to be left with a choice today. Are we going to be found to be those who procrastinate or are we going to be found to be those who prepare? So the character of the bridesmaids, or the character of the virgins, five wise and five foolish. You know, in, in ancient Near Eastern Jewish weddings, they would have looked totally different to what we would experience today in a wedding. So perhaps for Charlie and Lena, this is going to be the, the way you, you guys approach your wedding. Who knows? The fathers of both the future bride and groom are going to make arrangements. They're going to pay the bride price, and that would be the engagement. But very often, they did not meet until the wedding day. So the two fathers would have went off, done the deed, sorted the price out. Bride and groom would not have met until wedding day. But then there's the betrothal. So the next, but the, the two come together. And so the two come together, they make a binding covenant. And they, as they make the binding covenant together, they actually don't go away off to their own home. They actually go to their separate homes to prepare. And so the groom would have went back to prepare the house whether it's adding on a granny flat onto the side of the existing house or maybe it's building somewhere new. And then the bride would have prepared herself and both of them would have been in a period of waiting. So you've got the, the engagement, the, the two fathers do that. 
they're betrothal where they come together and they've abandoned covenant and then they go their separate ways again. And then they, it comes a moment that they've all been waiting for. The bridegroom comes at a time that is unknown. The bridegroom comes at a time that is unknown in the future. A time that the father, the bridegroom's father has actually set. And so the bridegroom sets out to go and meet the bride where they'll go and have the wedding banquet or the feast. And there's wonderful gospel implications in this that we're going to get to. And so along with the groom, you're going to have others uh, that will join the groom. You're going to have bridesmaids. You're, you're going to have the, the, the virgins, so to speak. You're going to have friends. You're going to have family that will join them as they, as they meander their way, perhaps through the village. Maybe, maybe the bride is in another village. And, and all of a sudden, there's this crowd that's gathered, and they're making their way toward the bride. And it's a, a traveling procession, so to speak. Maybe it's from the other side of town. And this is where the parable picks up. The bridegroom is coming. And the, the, the virgins are looking forward to joining in the procession and, they're gonna, and they take up their lamps. And their lamps were these torches with an, kind of an oil-soaked cloth wrapped in a mesh. And from the outset, Jesus is telling us that five of them are wise and five are foolish. And so all ten of the virgins or young women had lamps. But the distinguishing factor was that the foolish didn't bring any extra oil. The foolish lacked foresight. The foolish didn't bring ample supplies. The wise, however, brought extra, extra oil in the jars. The wise are like my dad. And so we're going to see that all ten virgins are what we would call Christians. So all, all, all ten virgins are, are, are churchgoers. So let's say that the ten, the ten are all seated here. That, that, that's how it is. Jesus is talking to those who would say they're professing Christians. And so the scene is set, we've got five foolish virgins, we've five wise virgins, and, and the only distinguishable feature at this point is their supply of oil. And the foolish bridesmaids in the parable think that having initially accepted the invitation to the wedding banquet guarantees their participation in it. But the foolish virgins are those who make half a decision to become a Christian, but don't actually want to take Christianity seriously. So the character is five wise and five foolish. They all fall asleep. This is the consequence for the unprepared. They all fall asleep, but we're going to see there's a consequence that's coming. In verse 5, if you look in your Bibles, it says that the bridegroom was a long time in coming, or the bridegroom delayed in other versions. And they all became drowsy and they fell asleep. And you, you know, church, it's not a case of... Uh, the wise ones remaining awake and the foolish ones falling asleep. But rather, it's then the bridegroom is delayed and they all fell asleep. So there's no issue in falling asleep. The call wasn't to stay awake or to avoid falling asleep, but the call was to be prepared. So do you remember, the only difference is that one group has supplies and the other group doesn't. So again, in the group of 10, they're all professing Christians. They're all believers. They all have a lamp in hand. And then it's saying at midnight, at a time that is least expected, when they're all asleep, a cry rings out, here is the bridegroom, come to meet him. And so to the, to the external observer, to us that are, are looking in on this, all ten virgins have lit lamps. They've all got it. All the lamps are lit. Everything is wonderful externally. They're, they're all the same. They're all doing good works. They're all participating in religious activities. There's no real difference in any of them. But the only thing that differentiates the foolish from the wise is precisely the failure of the foolish bridesmaids or the foolish virgins to, to, to prepare, to face the prospect that the 
bridegroom may delay. The bridegroom may not come back whenever they think he's coming back. So they all awake, they grab their lamps and they begin to light them up. And, and since the bridegroom is delayed, five of the, of the virgins find that, well, they actually don't have enough oil. And if they don't have enough oil, and by the time the, the, the bridegroom comes, their, their oil is going to be out. And, and they can't have that. And so they say to the other five virgins, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. And the response is no. And as I read this, I'm thinking, gee, that's tight. Share a little bit at least. And we might think in the context of a wedding celebration that there might be a little bit more cooperation between the bridesmaids or between the virgins and, and they all could share and everyone would be happy. But the reality is if the five begin to share, then they're not going to even have enough by the time that the, the bridegroom comes along. And so we're going to find that 10 of them will not have enough. So they say no. So the folly of the five foolish virgins is revealed. And what was the mistake they made? It was their thinking that preparation is transferable. They thought, you know what, it's dead on. I, I, I don't have any extra oil. It's grand. But these guys, they've got plenty. So even if the bridegroom is, is later, it'll be dead on. Never we waking up, we'll, we'll, we'll share. We'll, we'll get some of theirs. And between us, we'll, we'll be fine. It was their thinking that preparation is transferable. I want to tell you today, the preparation in the kingdom of heaven is not transferable. So the wise uh, virgins reasoned that if they'd shared their reserves, and well, there'd be none left to make it through the streets. And so they're, they're saying, well, 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 go off, go into the streets, go to the local dealer, they will get you sorted. So go to the dealer at midnight, and at verse 10 it says, but while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. So while five of them were away, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with them to the wedding banquet, and it says, and the door was shut. The foolish bridesmaids missed the groom, not because the other bridesmaids or the virgins wouldn't share. Get this, it's not because the, the wise ones wouldn't share, but it's because they themselves were unprepared. And this is the parable in a nutshell. You know, it's easy to lay the blame at the feet of someone else. When we're, when we're reading the passage, um, we, we began to think it was the bridesmaids or it was the five wise virgins that were, that were stingy. They wouldn't lend a hand. But since preparation is non-transferable, the deeper truth we must grasp is that only those who will enter the wedding banquet with the groom are those who not only start well, but those who remain well, those who are prepared. And so we find that those who wait well are those who do not rely solely on the faith of others. So the five foolish virgins are those who were prepared to rely on, on the supplies of the five others. So they all trim their lamps. The bridegroom comes along. The unprepared are exposed. And you know, Jesus leaves many of his parables open-ended. He leaves the hearers on a cliffhanger. What, what happens? What's the outcome? What is the fate that's going to await them? And in doing so, Jesus is inviting us as his hearers into his story so that we can make a decision. And so in this parable, there isn't a cliffhanger. It's not open-ended. Jesus actually begins to apply the parable through the consequences for the unprepared. And so as, as the coming of the bridegroom, some are going to be taken to be with him and some are going to be shut out. There's a division here. Some are going to enter into heaven. Some are going to enter into the presence and the glory of the bridegroom and others are going to be shut out. Others are going to be shut out into an eternal separation from the bridegroom. And so remember again, once again, 
these 10 are all what we would call professing Christians. And you might be thinking, well, Matthew, how, how can I even be sure that I'm a Christian then? How can I even be sure that I'm going to be with Jesus? Sure, the, the professing Christian is a true Christian. Isn't the case of once saved, always saved? What we need to understand is that because of this piece of doctrine that we are saved through faith alone, and Paul beautifully expounds that in Romans. You, you want to find out what it means to be saved by faith alone, read the book of Romans. But the other side of that coin is that saving faith is never alone. And so in the, in the book of James, if you want to find out what saving faith looks like, look at the book of James, 108, or 54 verses and 108 doing words. The book of Romans says that um, we are, we're saved by, by grace alone. Our faith alone saves us. But the book of James begins to show us that saving faith is never alone. So saving faith and professing Christians is evidenced in their lives. So the parable begins to fade as the reality of the applications begin to surface. The foolish virgins turn up at the door to find it shut and they begin to bang on it and they cry out, Lord, Lord, let us in, or Lord, Lord, open up. And he says to them, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Have you ever heard them words before? Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Or truly, I tell you, I never knew you. Language sounds familiar, doesn't it? Remember back to the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus' most famous sermon, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus teaches on the distinguishing marks of true and false followers. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And Jesus goes on to say, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Wow. Externally, we've, this is what we, we, we've got. We've got your charismatic evangelical Christians, a category that mafia fits into. You've got these people who've got great ministries. They're, they're prophesying. They're, they're doing miracles, great things. They're even casting out demons. Amen. All these great things. But look at the outcome. The outcome is the very same as what we have in the parable today. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Wow. Church, I want to tell you, it's very, very possible to do the Christian things without following, knowing, or being intimate with the Christian God. And the warning is that Jesus is going to return again at a time that you do not know when. And so the challenge then is, will you procrastinate or will you be prepared? So how do we apply it to our lives? Well, we can procrastinate. I love to procrastinate. Why do today what you can do tomorrow? Amen? <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> whenever Steve started the icebreaker, I was saying to these guys, I am the personification of what it is to be late. I'm also the personification of what it is to procrastinate. And so as I share this, I'm challenging myself. You know, Jesus had a real disappointment when he, when he, when he came and he began his earthly ministry at the lack of readiness. You know, many who'd been awaiting the revelation of the kingdom were not prepared when it arrived. And we're going to get into this when we come to the Christmas story. You know, the shepherds were ready, but Herod wasn't. The wise men were ready, but, but the soldiers weren't. Simeon and Anna got it, but the religious leaders didn't. 
Nicodemus followed Jesus, but the religious leaders mocked him. Jesus knew what it was like for a, a people that he came for to be ill-prepared. You know, in Luke 19, it, uh, it says about Jesus, as he approached Jerusalem and as he saw the city, he turned and he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had known on this day what would bring peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The very people Jesus came to rescue turned their backs on him. The very people Jesus came to rescue were not prepared. So we can be those who procrastinate, those who borrow resources. And those who procrastinate are content to borrow resources because why would I need my own? Because I can just use somebody else's. Those who borrow resources are those who do not replenish themselves spiritually. I've said the prayer, I've got the ticket, I go to church, I even attend city group, I turn up to all the externals, but I don't tune in to God. I live in the presence of unbelievers, but I don't replenish my soul in the, in the presence of God. Externally, I'm no different than the person beside me, but a real quick glance at my private life, a quick eavesdrop on my conversations with God would actually tell a different story. And so what are some of the resources we're likely to borrow? Relying on, on others solely for faith. Maybe it's, maybe it's friends. You've got your couple of Christian friends and you're using them as your crutch to see you through this Christian walk. Maybe it's your family. I've been born into this faith. It's my upbringing. My family are Christian, which means I'm a Christian as well. Maybe it's your church that you go to. It's a church community, the people that you love being around. If I'm, like, if I'm with them long enough, maybe I'll become like them. I want to tell you, there's a world of difference in knowing about God and actually knowing God. You know, James says, in, in, the, in the book of James, not my friend James, in the book of James, he's saying, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe and shudder. And so to you who procrastinate, to you who borrow resources, Jesus will one day tell you, I didn't know you. I don't know you. So those who procrastinate are content to borrow resources, but those who procrastinate are also content to run on fumes. Those who procrastinate are, are content to rely on a past experience. You know, I had ex an experience with God six years ago, and that was class. That was, uh, was amazing. I, be, I got a vision of God, and it, it pumped me up. And, uh, and, and I feel great. And that's what sustains me through the day. That's what sustains me through the night. It's that past experience. And then things begin to dry up. And what do you do? Well, you go back for that next experience. You, you try to go from one experience to another experience, hoping that these experiences will, will, will fill us up just with enough to get us by. I know what that was like as a teenager, going to Christian camps in the summertime. One week highs, they were amazing. And then back into, in, into low after low in school. Wondering why I struggled, why I struggled in my teenage years. A quick look at what my, my private life with Jesus would have quickly told me. You're up in these mountains in the summertime, Math, but you're walking in these valleys and you're not actually walking with Jesus. And so are you, are you living life currently giving God second best? Are you living life spiritually running on fumes? You know, there, there's a world of difference between mentally and physically running on fumes. I, I get that we get tired. 
and, and that's fine, that's part and parcel of life. But spiritually running on fumes are those of us who just procrastinate and just go along, go on cruise control. GPS is set, cruise control is set. We're good to go. We never replenish ourselves in the Word of God, never replenish ourselves in prayer, never replenish ourselves in fellowship with others. And so to enter the kingdom of heaven, it is not only necessary to accept the invitation. And so the invitation is being saved by grace through faith. But one must also prepare for it. And how do we prepare? Well, it's to bring the reserve oil. To bring the reserve oil is growing the fruit of, of, of obedience in our lives. So those who faithfully follow Jesus may borrow many, many things from one another. I, I, I get that. You know what? I, I, I've borrowed clothes from people. Abigail, my daughter, has got a ton of clothes from other kids in the church. As Christians, we are called to share. We're called to share our possessions. We're, we're, we're called to meet uh, one another's need. But what you cannot share is these, is these spiritual resources. And this is a, a distinguishing mark between those who prepare and those who procrastinate. Commitment to Christ and discipleship that follows cannot be loaned or borrowed. Each of us must participate in the kingdom with our own resources. I'll tell you this, I cannot take Steve's resources and expect that to sustain me in the Christian walk. Matthew's got to follow Jesus. So commitment to Christ and discipleship cannot be loaned, it cannot be borrowed. So we can be a people who procrastinate, but we can also be a people who prepare. And so like my father with his little five-liter drum of diesel in the car, we're called to be spiritually prepared. And this is Jesus' challenge that he sets before us. His challenge is to be ready. He's coming back again. The first time he came, his people did not receive him. When he came the first time, he found an unprepared people. John 1 tells us he came for his own, but his own did not receive him. And so this parable lies in between Jesus' first coming and the second coming. And when he returns again, will we be found to be prepared? The wise virgins in this parable are notably those who have reserves of oil. They've got reserves on hand for the long haul. And I tell you this, life in the kingdom of God requires commitment to the long haul. And for us to commit to the long haul, we need reserves for the long haul. Maybe that long haul is, um, has been away from family. Maybe that long haul is, is a time of difficulty, maybe, maybe, maybe with cancer. I just heard today that it, it, somebody uh, is ill and it's not looking good. Maybe the long haul is a family member who's struggling. Maybe the long haul is having to put to death the dream that you thought you would have in order to serve somebody else's dream. Maybe the long haul is life not working out just as you thought it was. Life in the kingdom of God requires commitment to the long haul, which means that we need to be a people who have all the resources. We need the oil. So advanced planning is necessary. Reserves must be on hand. You know, there's no instant discipleship. There's no instant maturity in the fullness of the kingdom. The wise, thoughtful virgins knew that it might just be a long night. They knew that that the bridegroom may well delay. And so what did they do? They prepared accordingly. So what does advanced planning then look like in our lives? It's realizing, first of all, that we're cultivating a healthy relationship with Jesus doesn't actually happen by accident. I tell you this, you, you, you cannot fall into becoming a mature follower of Jesus. 
You do not fall into love with Jesus. You do not get to know him really, really well on the fly. You do not get to know him really well by accident. And secondly, like any healthy relationship, it requires commitment. And so this is a call to discipleship. This is a call for all of us, for Christ City Church, to apprentice ourselves to Jesus, to become lifelong learners and followers. I'm looking down here and I see people who've been following Jesus longer than I've been alive. But every single one of us have got to continually apprentice ourselves to Jesus, continually be a lifelong follower. I became a Christian as a four-year-old, so technically I've become a Christian, I've been a Christian for 28 years. Mafi is a follower. If that was in a car, Mafi would still have his L plates up. Mafi's still a learner. We're all still learners. None of us are professionals. None of us have made it. There is going to come a day whenever Jesus receives us and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we're going to get to that next week. But until then, we are lifelong followers. We are lifelong learners. And we've got to cultivate healthy disciplines for the road ahead. So Dale Brunner said, discipleship is a life of patient listening to the word and constant repenting under the conviction of the word. So lives of obedience and lives of repentance. And you know, it's, it's not one-off acts. Remember the parable of the sower? The, the second soil is a, is a seed that has been sown and it's sown in the ground that is shallow. It takes shit quickly. It looks good, but it never actually takes root. And there's no root in this. And because there's no root in this, then it begins to die off. And so in this case, Jesus leaves the interpretation of the oil open to us that we may apply this broadly to our lives. The oil will concern everything in our Christian lives. Maybe that's compassion for the poor. It might be care for the sick. It might be evangelism toward those who don't know Jesus. Ultimately, the oil is lives of faithful service and sacrifice toward God with what we've been given. And the Holy Spirit actively helps us with that. So we can only do this by his power. And I wonder what the oil will look like in your life. You know, Christians will be known not by what they believe, but how they live out what they believe. What is the evidence of preparedness in your life? I just want to invite the band back up. What's your relationship with Jesus looking like? Are you enjoying regular rhythms of prayer? Are you enjoying regular times in the Bible? Do you come before him to repent? Is repentance part and parcel of your, your, your rhythm with the Lord? Because do you see what happens in, uh, in verse 13? It says, therefore keep watch because you do not know they are. We're to keep watch because one day the door is going to close. You know, for those of us who are committed to the bridegroom, the door is open. But toward the end of the parable, the door does shut. Limits are placed on inclusivity. The foolish virgins in the parable reveal themselves to be unfaithful disciples who will be subject to punishment. But you know, Jesus, the bridegroom, is going to return and he's going to return joyfully. At the end of the age, he is going to extend a warm welcome to all the guests who have waited patiently and remained prepared for his return. You know, we're going to share in communion. We're going to share in the Lord's Supper really soon. And as we do that, we, we remember back to the very first Lord's Supper. Jesus in the upper room. And Jesus says to his disciples in the upper room in John 14, and if I go and prepare a place for you, 
Remember, the bridegroom goes off. They, they made up, first of all. They, um, they have a binding commitment, and then they go their separate ways. The bridegroom goes and prepares a place. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be where I am. Christ City Church, Jesus is going to return again. He's going to return as a bridegroom. We do not know when that is going to be. But I tell you this right now, he is preparing a place for you and I. So let us hold fast. Let us stay the course. Let us be prepared. Let us be, be found to be prepared whenever he does come. So listen, I'm going to pray and Steve is going to come up and lead us in communion. And as a church, we're going to respond. What does it look like to be, to be prepared? Ongoing communion with our brothers and sisters. Lord Jesus, we recognize that short-term keen enthusiasm isn't going to cut it. We recognize that going from experience to experience isn't going to cut it. But rather a long obedience in the same direction is. And I pray, Lord, that we would be found to be a people who are prepared. A people who are not content to borrow the spiritual resources from others, but a people who are hungry and are thirsty for you. A people, Lord, who are not content to procrastinate, but a people who will prepare. A people who are not just content to be saved by faith, but a people whose saving faith will be evidenced in our good works and in our lives among our colleagues and among our friends. Lord, I pray that we would live well and we would prepare well. That on that last day, we would hear them wonderful words that we're going to hear next week. Well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, amen.